You need to say yes when you feel it and you need to say no when you feel it. A lot of times, especially as women, we do the opposite. Let me please you. Let me make you happy. Let me put you first. You will never be happy that way. You will never have confidence that way. You will never feel good in your own skin because what you're doing is you're getting validation outside of you rather than validation inside of you. And so it can feel enormous at times to say no to somebody, but maybe you need it for your mental health. Maybe you need it to because there's something else you're doing. And when you start to stand for that, yes, it's going to affect other people. And you have to be able to withstand that because you then have to go, how important am I? How do I feel? Welcome to The Wealthy and Well Woman, a podcast that celebrates choosing a life of overflow. If you're looking to grow your business, live on purpose, and feel your best while doing it, then you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Kat Sanuski, the business coach for wellness leaders and visionary female entrepreneurs, founder of Be Well Events and international yoga teacher and trainer. My goal in this podcast is to help you curate your life by design and claim your dream business by giving you actionable tips and trainings that help you get out of your own way, step into your power and monetize your magic. I'll be bringing you a thought training or interview from experts that will help you break through your fears, take action and grow into those massive visions that you can't stop thinking about. I am so happy you're here. Now let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Wealthy and Well Woman podcast. I'm your host, Kat Sanuski, and today we have Tracy Crossley, who innovates in a crowded marketplace of coaches, counselors, and mentors. She has perfected a method for real change, no matter what circumstances are occurring in the life of an individual, personally, or in business. With her background in business, marketing, psychology, ontological coaching, emotional intelligence, and intuitive abilities, Tracy is the game changer for women leaders looking to reinvent how they live and lead from the inside out. She has been known to say she can build the perfect leader for the present and the future. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Kat. I'm really looking forward to chatting today. Me too. And I love that last line, by the way, known to build a perfect leader for the present and the future. That is a bold and amazing statement. And I can't wait to dive into that as well, because I know a lot of female leaders listen to the podcast and I can't wait to hear more about that. But in the meantime, where in the world are you today? I'm in Los Angeles. Well, just outside of Los Angeles. I lived in Los Angeles for the last, you know, many decades. And we moved last year to Ventura County. We live in Thousand Oaks. Oh, amazing. Is it nice and sunny there? Uh, Kind of. It's not got, I mean, we don't really have any weather unless it's raining. So it's like, it's a nice day for winter. Good. It's supposed to be negative 30 here in Maine with wind chill. So I'm like so cozied up, but enough about the weather and location. Um, Tell us your story of getting to this place that you are today. I know you've been a coach for a long time. You have been a relationship coach and and you do a lot around that. But for those of our listeners that don't know you, what is like the fast track to who you are and how you got to where you are today? So basically I was born an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, that's a new word, entrepreneur. (laughs) Um, And, you know, as a kid, I was selling stuff. I mean, I even, you know, created, let's say sales when I was probably about eight years old. And then um, I was selling things door to door. I used to sell Avon and I'm probably dating myself by saying that, but yeah, I used to sell Avon door to door when I was in high school. Um, I was always doing something and I worked in corporate Um, you know, I've had different, you know, different entities. Like I had a marketing and design firm. 
Um, so this has been like over the years and I'm trying to fast track it as fast as possible. I worked in the animation industry. Um, you know, I worked in the printing industry. I've worked in different industries, uh, usually in a sales and marketing capacity and then in management. And my last job, I was working in an ad agency and I was a vice president there. Um, and so I have a corporate background, but I also have a, a business background in terms of creating businesses. And so uh, I was always doing that. If I wasn't in corporate, that's what I did. Stay at home mom. I was creating, I, <laughs> I was creating a children's software catalog. Like I was always doing something. So yes. And then 2008, um, that's when I was a VP and uh, things changed a little bit in 2008, as we all know. And I worked in recruitment advertising, which means um, you're basically working with uh, ads and things for people getting jobs. And 2008, wasn't really that year for that. Right. So anyways, long story short, I had read a book. I wanted to meet the author, met the author. They're like, you need to be a coach. I'm like, no, I don't. They're like, yes, you do. It was an argument because basically I thought, how the hell am I going to make a coaching business, uh, make money? Because at the time it just sounded like, are, are you kidding? That sounds like fun. That sounds easy. That sounds, you know, and it was, and I'm a natural coach in that way, or at least I was told that. And then I just grew the business for the last 15 years. And I really focused in on insecure attachment. Uh, that was because of my own insecure attachment issues. And I was able to bring that into what I did. Um, I have a master's in psychology and I also you know, bring that in, but a lot of it has come from building upon what I already know and what I've learned and having created programs and you know, I've had a lot of women leaders work with me who basically don't have, uh, let's say, a functional personal life and even their work life is affected. And so everybody I've worked with in that capacity has seen an amazing return on what that looks like and have become the leader that they never knew that they could be. So that's the short of it. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's such an amazing journey. So you've been in the coaching industry for 15 years, which I, I love that too, because the coaching industry is, is really blown up in the last couple of years. So you've really seen it at more of the beginning stages and then how it's changed over all that time. So I'm super interested. How, how has that journey been in general? And as far as the coaching industry, how has that, how have you seen that shifted and changed over the years? Um, I think back then, and I always used to say this, and this probably sounds horrible because I do have a business background. Mm. I used to look at it like there that women thought, oh, this is like selling Tupperware. Like yeah. I'm just going to, you know, get a certificate and I'm going to do this, but they really weren't affecting change. You know, when you say to a client, oh, I want you to go home and write a list of 10 things you don't like, and then bring it back next week or, you know, things like that. You're not really delving into what is at the root of why somebody is in the position that they're in. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I would say like back then there was a lot of that. I think that it's still proliferating throughout the industry, but, um, the marketing, cause there's a lot of weird marketing in the coaching industry too, right. Where it's about getting people when they're vulnerable. And this is just an mm -hmm. example. Like this was a huge thing. Um, I would say up until about seven or eight years ago, and then people started to get really tired of it, but you know, you would have people coming at you and talking to you like, like if you didn't get help from them, your whole life would just be in shambles. And so I'm not seeing that as much, mm -hmm. but that was a, I would say that was like a big component for a while. And then, um, and I would say now, I mean, there's a coach for everything. 
like everything. I don't think we're missing anything. Right. Super quick interruption to today's episode to share something extremely exciting. I want you to imagine having access to all of the most potent and powerful trainings for wealthy and well entrepreneurship. That is exactly what Eudaimonia is. It's a one-year membership to all of my most powerful trainings for growing your business and impacting your life. And don't skip forward just yet because I'm sharing with you a code for $100 off every single month to Eudaimonia for an entire year. You can use code WWPOD to save $100 off every single month for an entire year. Eudaimonia includes all of my programs. You get instant access to programs like Monetize Your Magic, Soul Revival, Elevated Events, InstaBiz Growth Accelerator, all of my master classes, my yoga library specifically for energetic alignment for entrepreneurs, and any new program or offer I create for an entire year. And the best part is you also get monthly coaching calls to get all of your questions answered and get direct support in your unique business and connect with an incredible community of women who are just as committed as you to building a wealthy and well life and business of their dreams. So if you're ready for your most wealthy and well year yet, then use code WWPOD to save $100 off every single month in Eudaimonia. And I can't wait to welcome you in. How has, and this makes me think a lot about imposter syndrome. And I know you talk about imposter syndrome a lot, and I think it can come up, especially because some of these things that we know about the coaching industry, that there are a lot of people that are coaching and maybe not really affecting deeper change. And I think part of that may kind of scare people away from going into coach and spark that, you know, imposter syndrome or like, who am I? Do I, do I really know enough to help someone? Is my experience enough to be able to create change? And what is your view on imposter syndrome kind of as a whole, first off, like how you see imposter syndrome come up as leaders, as entrepreneurs, and then what you might say. So first off, let's start with that. Absolutely. So imposter syndrome is from your conditioning. Okay. It just goes back to childhood and it goes back to childhood where you learn certain characteristics were probably not approved of, or were, let's say, uh, downplayed, you know, like, let's say you were loud or let's say you were boisterous and your mom and dad were like, Oh my God, no, you need to get, you know, keep it down. That's not right in school, the same thing. And so you get this idea that I need to be quiet. Okay. And so you start to succumb to societal mores, you, you know, your parents, and a lot of us have a departure from who we really are. Like, let's say you get great grades in school and you're doing it because you get positive attention, but that doesn't really say who you are. But we, we try to make that part of who we are. And then when someone gets close or someone starts to get to know us, we lack the confidence because it's not really who we are. It's something we're putting out there that we think is acceptable, is going to get us liked or get us to be successful, but it's not really saying who you are and who you are isn't bad. It's really starting to invest there. And then other things become a component. You know, maybe you excel at certain things and either you have the drive still once you're healthy, but a lot of times we find that intrinsic motivation takes over. 
And intrinsic motivation is what leads you to your greatest moments anyway. So it sounds like really that lack of confidence is coming from a misalignment, from kind of that mass that we've put on that we've been told we need to be more like. So we become more like that. And then it's this misalignment with who we authentically are. And that's where you see the imposter syndrome coming up a lot. I do. I see that a lot. And, you know, the truth is a lot of women, majority of women, I should say, really don't know who they are at a certain level. And I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm saying that as your parents raise you, their parents raise them, like, you know, going back generations, right? And you can go back to when women were property. You can go back to when women um, didn't have rights, okay? And parents raising their kids aren't necessarily self-aware. And so they don't realize what they're imparting to their kid. And a lot of us, they've just been repeating it generation after generation. So of course, how would you get to know who you really are when we don't have anything that tells us, hey, you know what? Trust that instinct. Trust your inner wisdom, what you were born with, your intuition. And I'm not talking woo-woo. I'm talking about what you already know. And when you start to trust that, it just changes everything. But getting there, the resistance to it is huge because we fear loss. And so we'll stay, you know, we're working super hard. You know, a lot of us, I, I, me, I was a workaholic for years, right? So all of these things to try and prove something that I never needed to prove in the first place. And the thing is when you are in a sense of flow and you can be a flow at work, you can be in a flow when you trust that everything is going to work out when you can make choices that seem like a risk, because that mm. would be a risk, right? right Where right. let's say you're a yogi and you're teaching and you're doing all of these things, but let's say you go to another yogi and you feel that resistance, you feel that sense of, oh God, I'm that fake yogi. I'm not that mm. real yogi. And so mm. I don't know if he's going to like me. And then you're looking at that person for signs of judgment or signs that they're going, Oh my God, who does she think she is? Right. Yeah. And we yeah. do that. And we, and we basically interject all these conversations that aren't even happening into our heads when we don't feel in alignment with ourselves, when we feel like, Oh my gosh, they're going to find out about me. I'm not acceptable. I'm not mm. good enough. Yes. And would you say for our listeners that are maybe experiencing imposter syndrome and like, my belief is that everyone, like everyone at some point experience is imposter syndrome at some point in their life, totally. especially as an entrepreneur, would you say that one, that's a normal part of just entrepreneurship. And also if someone's feeling those, what, what's your advice for working with imposter syndrome and moving through imposter syndrome? So I think no matter if it's entrepreneurship, it could be anything, wherever you feel like you need to fit into some kind of cookie cutter, where you mm. feel like you need to fit into whatever is described, you know, like it's a, like entrepreneur is a job title or something, right? Yeah. All the roles and responsibilities <laughs> with it. And oh, I, I need to be that person. But in reality, I mean, yeah, when you start off as a solopreneur, you're doing everything. But when mm. you get past that and you have people to do things, you're not needing to be, and you're needing to look at what's my zone of genius. What do I mm. even feel connected to? So mm -hmm. to actually break free of imposter syndrome, there's several things that you can do. And I don't want to, I, I tend to give a lot of information, so I don't want to overwhelm anybody, but um, you know, the first thing is to recognize it. Okay. When you have an awareness that you feel this way, 
you can look at it and go, okay, now I'm seeing myself, right? Like you're seeing yourself talking to somebody. Then you can go into your body and go, what kind of feelings am I experiencing as I'm in this situation? Because your, your feelings are like a signpost. They're giving you an idea. But, and I want to be very clear about this because people talk about feeling your feelings and it's not that simple. It's not that easy. And what I mean by that is a lot of us will feel our reactions but usually it's reactions to stories and you have stories about the other people, like what I was sharing, you know, earlier. And so you want to be able to suss that out and go, am I having a reaction or is this a true feeling I'm having? And then if you're having a true feeling, you know, because it feels deeper, feels more connected. And the other thing that you want to do is take risks, take emotionally risky action by doing something that's in character to who you really are versus who you portray yourself to be. And you may, and the funny part of it is, it may not be so different. It just might be a little tiny movement, but it feels more real to you. And again, in your body, you'll feel it. You'll feel resistance when it's somebody getting closer or you don't trust it and you're knowing, okay, I'm having imposter syndrome. You can feel it. It feels like a heaviness on your chest. It feels, you know, it feels like you do not want to make movement. You want to run. You start making excuses. I need to get out of here. I can't do this. Come up with a script of what you're going to say. So those are things that are clues to give you the awareness. And then again, it's feeling it and then taking emotionally risky action because that will change it. And then if you want to do deeper work, which is what I usually do with people, it's to get them to change at a deeper level. And it's not just by taking, you know, those steps, there's more to it, but that right there opens you up. It really does. And it makes it so much easier to then go anywhere and trust yourself that you're going to be okay. Yes. I love that so much. And would you say that last step, which I kind of um, collected from what you shared just now, like the four steps, one being that initial awareness, feeling it in your body, noticing how it's coming up and just being aware. And then noticing if it's a reaction or a deeper, like true feeling. And then three would be taking emotionally risky action. And four would be change at more of a subconscious level. Would that be kind of like the deeper work of what's happening subconsciously? Yes. I love that. And you do a lot of that work at the subconscious level as well. I do. Um, It's, I have different programs and like my more advanced program, once you get past learning, like what I'm talking about, Mm-hmm. most people struggle with that. Like you can do oh, it yeah. in a container, you know, like, oh, that sounds great. I can do that. But then in real life, it's so much harder to do. And so mm-hmm. I have, you know, different programs that cover where you're starting from, but yeah, that's yes. what I learned to do. Cause I learned to do it for myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to feel how I did. I wanted emotional well being. And I grew up in, you know, drama and everything else, like so many other people, like so many other leaders and entrepreneurs, because I don't know a lot of people that had a stable home life where they, you know, where it's like, um, they're out there doing that. And I don't mean that again in a negative way. I'd love to know who you are if you did, (laughs) I really would, but I haven't met very many, let's just say. And so it's really about having to deal with your stuff. Yes. Oh, I love that you actually said that because I think a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs feel like they can't share, you know, their past or they can't share some of those hard things that they have been through that have formed them into the leader or the entrepreneur that they are now. And that's a lot of times such a a common theme across is like your story actually makes you so powerful and like what you, what you turn it into and what you 
became from it. Okay. So love all the talk on imposter syndrome. This also makes me think a lot of general confidence of confidence in yourself, of really how to build confidence on a deeper level. And I know this is something else that you do a lot of work with. Is there any tips or perspectives that you have for our listeners on building true, authentic, deeper confidence, regardless of outside circumstances that are happening in work or life. Cause I think also dealing with a lot of business owners, having that confidence when things are going really well and they're having people like want to work with them and jump in and they're in a high season and their confidence is through the roof. And they're like, yeah, I'm showing up to my business. I'm creating all the content. I'm marketing like crazy. And then it goes ghost town for a little while, maybe. And they're in more of a dip. And then they're like, I suck. <laughs> you know, nobody likes what I do. I can't help anyone. I'm a loser. You know, maybe I should give it all up. How do you keep that core confidence through the ups and downs of life and of business? You have to build your value. And you don't build your value through accomplishments. It doesn't matter what degrees you have. You have to build the ability to believe in yourself and love yourself and feel you have worth because you breathe. And that will carry you into any room anywhere on the planet because you will give zero poops. <laughs> you will you will not really care uh, what other people are perceiving you as. And it's not because you're going to be a rebel and you know walk in there. It's you have that confidence and people can feel it and they know it, and you know it. And so it doesn't matter, again, how much education you have, how many titles you've had. It's really about that. And to get there, it's kind of, you know, it's a hard path, but it's an interesting path. I've been doing this for 15 years. And not that this is um, a great example, but it's one that somebody just shared with me today. Uh, I have a client in one of my group programs, and her boyfriend died out of the blue a couple of weeks ago. Crazy, right? And she's been in my program, I think almost a year. And what's interesting is that she left me a message and she said, this is the weirdest thing. You know, he died like three weeks ago and she goes, okay, I am sad. I am, you know, I joined a bereavement group and I couldn't believe how these women hadn't moved on, how they were still stuck. Like, you know, they lost a husband five years ago and they were sitting there crying and they couldn't get past it. She goes, I'm thinking, is there something wrong with me? Am I numb again? And I'm like, no, this is what happens. When you start building your value, you start to have appropriate emotions. You start to have an appropriate reaction. She's sad. She's disappointed. She's feeling grief. Those are normal. Devastation, like you can't move on. That is about your lack of value. And I know we glorify it in our culture, but it is about the lack of value. And you start to see things from a different perspective and you realize that, oh, I still have a life. Like she still has a life. She, it's still important. And that her life didn't die with him. And a lot of us, we pin this on relationships. We pin this on work. We pin this on accomplishment. And the point being, you want to feel a sense of confidence and value in who you are, no matter what the hell is happening around you. I've never heard... It said like that in that specific way of how that ties into you building your worthiness and your value, even in insane, you know, heartbreaking life situations and how that can carry you through it faster. And even though you still 
experience those normal emotions. Like you said, like, yeah, of course be sad. Like it's devastating, but also you're not wrecked. You're not, your life is not ruined when these external situations, no matter how hard they are happen. That is a really, I just love that perspective. And of course, this is so much easier said than done, right? <laughs> like, yeah, just, just build up your value, you know, just believe you're worthy. Um, do you have one, like, I know there's so many ways to do this, but if you could pick one thing, that's like a quick nugget for our listeners or someone that's like, you know, I'm working to build up my value and to, you know, build up my worthiness and to really believe this on a deeper layer is there one thing that you would recommend that they start doing like yesterday or today? Yes. Okay. So this is sounding simple, but just wait until you're in the situation <laughs> and you're going to go, okay, that's harder than Tracy said. Okay. So you need to say yes when you feel it and you need to say no when you feel it. A lot of times, especially as women, we do the opposite. Let me please you. Let me make you happy. Let me put you first. You will never be happy that way. You will never have confidence that way. You will never feel good in your own skin because what you're doing is you're getting validation outside of you rather than validation inside of you. And so it can feel enormous at times to say no to somebody, but maybe you need it for your mental health. Maybe you need it to because there's something else you're doing. And when you start to stand for that, yes, it's going to affect other people and you have to be able to withstand that because you then have to go, how important am I? How do I feel? And I mean, I had to do this and I've taught so many people to do it because what happens is you think, oh, okay, I'm going to do this for this person, but you end up resenting. You, you end up, if you're not resenting, you're at least angry, you're frustrated, you're not taking care of yourself. So what you're doing is you're showing you, okay, this person in the body, this is what I do. I disappoint myself. I'm not worth it. And everybody else is instead of saying to somebody the truth, you know what, I would love to do that for you. But if I do it, I know I'm going to end up angry or resentful. It's not your fault. It's just how I'm going to feel. And I'm really trying to take care of myself at this point. If somebody doesn't respect that, you're going to have another situation on your hands where at some point you will probably come to a choice point in that relationship. You don't have to go, oh, screw this. I'm out of here. It's the point of you really start to understand how you've trained people to treat you. Yes. I love that. And, and, and the simplicity is beautiful because most of what creates transformation in your life and your business is the simple, consistent action. It's not like some miraculous, you know, game changing formula. That's just going to like change your whole world. It's like saying yes and no, when you feel it, I even, this makes me think of, um, a practice that I've had clients do. That's just decisiveness, like making a decision when you feel it, instead of like going flip-flopping and in simple things, like you're at a restaurant, pick the first thing that sticks out to you and, and be done instead of like, well, maybe that would be, well, what if I choose that? And then I don't like it. Well, what about that? Well, what about this? And then it's like, well, what do you think I should get? And then it's going all over the place instead of saying, and this just makes me think of that, the simple, the basic, the daily, how can you practice this and condition this? Like say yes and say no when you feel it. Oh, that's right. so good. That is, that is perfect. Okay. There's so many, there's so many directions that I want to take this. I'm trying to think of like one more topic that we can jam on because I'm just 
thinking of so many things um, that would be really fun because I know you talk a lot about attachment styles and insecure attachment and how that shows up in leadership. But I also know that you talk about the characteristics of the three types of, you know, the train wreck, the roller coaster, and the comfort CEOs. So why don't we, I'm, I'm, I'm getting called towards the insecure attachment. So let's go with that. And let me practice what I was just preaching. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about the insecure attachment and leadership. Um, how does that show up in leadership and what is the effect of that and how can our listeners and how can people come become more secure leaders? Okay. So those, by the way, the three types that you mentioned are from insecure attachment. Okay. Oh, oh, so yeah. they blend together. They blend together. Perfect. And yeah. And I think whoever sent the information to you, by the way, um, yeah. it's not comfort CEO anymore. It's passive CEO. So, okay. Um, okay. So basically um, I've done, I wrote a book called Overcoming Insecure Attachment in 2000, the end of 2021. And uh, that came from all the work that I've done cumulatively. And so one of the things that was standing out and in my own life and everybody else I know is that everybody has attachment issues. And I'm going to say this, where if you are attached to any result outside of you, you have an insecurity. If you let go of the result, right? You do all the work, you do what you can, you let go, then you don't have an attachment. So I haven't met a human being yet that doesn't have some kind of insecure attachment. So I just wanted to preface it with that because for some people, it's a new term. Some people, it's old, old term. Um, it comes from attachment theory, which was developed in the late sixties. And I mean, leading up to it, there were other theories that were built, but, uh, Dr. John Bowlby really had this curiosity about how infants come into the world and what, you know, what they attach to, you know, their caregiver, what is it? Is it the food? And so he really, I guess, I don't even know how many, uh, studies he did, but he did quite a few. And he had a partner named uh, Mary Ainsworth. She was his assistant. And she went on to do other uh, studies. And she did something called the strange experiment. So basically, it's talking about you either are secure or you're insecure. And if you're insecure, what that means is your attachment style could be, as a child, ambivalent. It could be avoidant or it could be anxious. And there are so many that have been born since then. Like if you look up attachment, like there's fearful, disorganized. There's blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to behavior, it comes back to either you're anxious, avoidant, or both. And like for me, I was both. Depending on the situation, both. I find that a lot of entrepreneurs are more avoidant than they are anxious. Even though you have anxiety, it's applied in a different way than somebody who's anxious. So as an example, the three different um, CEO types. So the train wreck CEO, that's more the avoidant. Okay. That is somebody who probably doesn't have much of a personal life, or if they do, you're sleeping in separate bedrooms. You're not, there's not really an intimacy there emotionally, you know, maybe you have physical intimacy, but you don't have emotional intimacy. Um, you may be feeling like you're always searching for a partner or you just end up in dysfunctional relationships or, you know, there's the realm of that. And then in your work, people have trouble getting close to you. You would prefer nobody to be emotional around you. You just want them to get their job done. You may be seen as a bitch. You may be seen as a person who others don't really feel loyal towards. Maybe you have a lot of turnover. You feel that 
somebody is not, you, you might just hone in on somebody and go, okay, this person is not working. This person, you know, you're just like stacking up, making a case against them, right? And you tend to do that because you're always looking for a problem. And then you want to find the solution. But it's sort of a perspective that isn't necessary when you don't have this attachment style. So that's one style of attachment in a nutshell. So when it comes to the roller coaster CEO, which was, I would say I was, because I could say, oh yeah, I could see myself back when I was in corporate doing some of those things, but I was more the roller coaster because I would do all that, but then I would be rescuing people. And so you tend to have, you know, your relationships, a lot of them are built on what you do for other people. So you get your validation from that. So you may, you know, like me, and I still will do this for people. Like I'm a great matchmaker when it comes to business. Like I have put people together with jobs. I put to people together with this business and this business. And I used to get like a sense of, okay, I have some worth. I have some value. Um, but people find you unpredictable. And so they don't know what mood they're going to get when you walk in the door. They don't know how to perceive you. And the ways that they perceive you basically bring a lack of trust, even though you're always rescuing them. Oh my God, what's going on with Harold? Let's help Harold. You know, let's take him out for drinks after work and make them happy so that you look like you're the savior. And so you think other people are perceiving you in a way that they would be loyal to you, but they're really not loyal to you. Cause again, you're lead, you're not leading them in a way that they feel good. Does that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm loving this. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Okay. So then you have, you know, and there's more to it, but these are just really the short versions. So when it comes to the passive CEO, so this is more somebody who has an anxious attachment style. And when you have this, you, oh my God, making a decision, you need a chorus of people. You do not trust your choices at all. Uh, taking a risk is a foreign thing. You want to do what's familiar. So that pretty much limits you as a leader. Um, you tend to look to other people uh, to be more. It's like if you walked into, let's say, a room of female leaders, you would want to walk out or you would look for somebody that would have sympathy for you because you would feel less than them is the point. So you never feel like you're on an equal playing field with anybody, even the people that report to you. And so you're always, you know, basically taking in these emotional reactions. And here's the thing. A lot of us will go, oh, she's just empathetic. No, it's not empathetic. It's a lack of self. And you probably have been a hard worker. And that's probably what's promoted you to where you are, because you might have been diligent. You might be organized. You might be having, you know, like skill sets like that. And so that may put you in that position, but it's not your natural state when you still have that attachment style. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It means your attachment style is a huge stumbling block. And again, people don't feel uh, like they are going to respect you. So if you get disrespect from people, and I've seen it, you know, where people just treat you just like you're a peer and they don't respect you. So then they're not really doing their jobs. And so then you're usually having to make up for what they're not doing. So, you know, all three of these are a painful position to be in if you stay there. Oh, I love this. And it's it's funny as you're describing each one, it's almost like I can see these play out. Yeah. Um, so now that we know what these three styles are, 
if someone is thinking, oh my God, I am the, you know, what any of them, I'm the train wreck roller coaster passive CEO. That's me. I totally identify with that. What do I do now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right. Okay. So there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, one is you can get some help. Obviously I would say, you know, totally call me and I have programs for this. If you're in a place where it's like, oh gosh, you know, I I don't want to seek out help. You really have to start to be aware. Again, I always say everything starts with awareness because if I don't have an awareness, I'm doing half the stuff. How can I even address it? Like start paying attention to your actions and reactions when you're around other people. Notice how you speak. Notice your body language. Notice if you're holding your breath. Notice if you feel anxious. Notice if you feel numb. Notice if you feel angry. Like notice how you're feeling, whether it's a reaction, okay? Or it's again, a deeper feeling. But when you start to notice this, you can go, oh my God, my behavior. My behavior, I can start to see how it's impacting other people. When you can see that mirror there, you know, because people usually reflect back to us, the characteristics that we really don't want to see, um, you know, they give us an idea because again, people treat us as we teach them to treat us. So what you would then do is you would go, okay, what am I afraid of having happen here? What is my fear? It just in that situation, not in an overall big general way, just in that situation. What is my fear? Cause fear is driving you. It is not any other feeling beneath it, but fear. So you have to know you're leading from fear. So what is my fear? Okay. I'm fa- I'm fearing failure. Let's say, you know, that I'm going to blow the whole thing. I'm not going to have revenue. I'm not going to, you know, be a successful person. Okay. So you have to basically let go of that. You have to go. It's okay if I fail. And people say this shit all the time. Sorry. I didn't mean to cuss, but anyways, no, you're good. <laughs> okay. Glad uh, here. okay. So, you know, you basically have to say, all right, it's okay if I fail. You have to feel it's okay if you fail and you have to go through whatever shame because there's always shame in there. You have to deal with your shame and you have to deal with the guilt and you have to deal with your grief because you will have grief about it because you will realize how you've been selling yourself short. Um, These are, and the things I'm talking about, I really work with people at the emotional level, not at the intellectual level. And the reason being is I can think all sorts of things, but my feelings are going to impact those thoughts. And until I deal with the feelings, which are basically coming from subconscious um, awareness, your subconscious holds all the information that, you know, everything you've ever done and things that have been in repetition have become a belief. And so you have to look at, oh, I had an emotional reaction over and over to being told I was ugly or something, right? As a kid. And so you feel like you're ugly because you were told that you cried. It must be true. And so you have to go in at the emotional level and undo the belief. Otherwise you can think it all you want. You're not changing anything. You're just not. So it really requires deeper work. I know. And having done it for, like I said, 15 years, it's like, I I would like to come up with like an easy way to do it. Uh, But it's not, it's really about making that, um, that courageous step for yourself. And it's hard, you know, to commit to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to change this no matter who it's with or what you decide to do. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, Tracy, I feel like we could just jam on all of these topics literally all day long <laughs> but for <laughs> the sake of time. Um, we will wrap it up. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they plug in into you if they want to learn more, or look at working with you? Uh, they can go to tracycrossley.com and that's T-R-A-C-Y with no E in it and Crossley with an E. So C-R-O-S-S-L-E-Y. So, and then my book is there. Uh, you can find it at any bookseller. And the one thing about the book, it's sort of a how-to guide on everything I talked about. And so that would also be helpful if you're looking to start looking into this stuff. Yeah. So that could be a nice kind of like next step resource for people too. Amazing. Oh, I almost forgot our, our signature question on the wealthy and well woman <laughs> podcast. What am I doing today? What does it mean to you or what does it look like in your life to be a wealthy and well woman? What, is, what does that mean to you? It means to feel confidence 24 seven. That's what it means because if I feel confident, I'm taking care of myself and I have emotional well-being. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you, Tracy, so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on today's episode of the Wealthy and Well Woman podcast. I am so grateful that you listened in. If you loved what you heard and you feel called to share, please go leave me a review on iTunes so I can make sure to keep all this good stuff coming your way. Also, share this episode with someone you think would absolutely love it, and I will be so grateful. That's how we spread the Wealthy and Well Woman mission together. If you aren't already following me on social media, come and join me by following at Kat Sanuski. I would love to connect with you there, and I cannot wait to connect you with you back here in the next episode. In the meantime, go out there and shine as the wealthy and well woman you are.